What's up everyone? Good morning and welcome to our online Water's Edge Sunday morning worship experience. Once again, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. For those of you that continue to share these messages and these online services with your friends and family, we hope it's helpful. Thank you so much for that. People are tuning in from all over the place. Also, for those of you that continue to give online, thank you so much for your generosity. It helps us love more people and help more people and serve more people and feed more people. A few announcements that we want you to know about is this. On the first Wednesday in June, June the 1st, we will have our first youth group meeting back. So if you have a junior high or high school student, let them know the first Wednesday night in June, June the 1st, we're going to go bowling. And then Saturday, June the 4th, the first Saturday in June, we're going to have a big block party for our neighborhood in our parking lot. So if you would like to hang out with us on that day, that's going to be Saturday June the 4th, a block party. Everyone's invited. Come hang out with us. Come serve. Come love on the neighborhood. And if you're a, a student, then on Wednesday, June the 1st, we're going to go bowling and hang out and get youth group kicked back up. Also, our live and in-person services are back going strong. So if you're a local viewer and you would like to join us in person, in-house, we worship every single Sunday back in-house at 930 and 1115. Today, we continue with our current series entitled The Human Experience. A slight recap, this study has been about this. It's about the overwhelming emotions that you and I face when we go through major, major storms and difficulties in this life. And how does God want us to deal with with these overwhelming emotions. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, we've talked about this verse every single week. The missionary says this, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. All throughout the narrative of the scripture, we see this truth and we see this principle. We're all connected to each other. And the greatest commandments was to love God with all that we have, connect with God, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to connect with ourselves and we have to connect with others, with our neighbors. So we have to love each other. And one of the best things that we see that helps us do that is the principle that we see all throughout the scripture. And this is what it is. Be honest. Be honest with yourself about who you are and about what you're feeling and about what you're going through. Be honest with God and be honest with the people around you. And how different would our life be and our world be and our relationships be if we were just honest about our emotions and honest about what we're going through and about what we're feeling. But again, like we've told you, that raises another question. Do we even know how? Do we even have the words? For the past 24 years, I've been in the ministry studying people and leading people and being with people and counseling people. And this is something that I've noticed. I've spent years studying what it means to be human, the human experience and the human condition because we're all called to connect with God, ourselves and each other. And this is a conclusion that we've come to and there's no truer conclusion than this. There's nothing more human than our emotions. And here's the problem. You and I know very little about our emotions and we have very little words and language and descriptions to draw on to describe our emotions. It seems like, as I observe, and if you would think about this too, like many times you and I have a very difficult time explaining coming up with the words to describe what it is that we're going through. You and I are emotional beings. We make emotional decisions. Like we talked about the first week, we are not primarily thinking machines who on occasion stumble into emotions. We are primarily emotional machines who on occasion think. And so this will help you and I understand the human experience. The human experience is all about how you and I think, 
feel, behave, and show up. It's all about how we think, and how we think leads us to feel, and how we feel leads us to behave, and how that all leads us to show up, to show up with God, ourselves, and the other people in our life. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, we talked about this passage last week. Love is patient and kind. Notice the emotions here. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Loving Jesus, following Jesus, worshiping Jesus, will not take our negative emotions away, but it will lead us to love better because basically this is what the text is telling us. Let love lead you to make better emotional decisions. Let your love for God, for yourself, and for other people lead you to make better emotional decisions. Like when it says love is patient and kind, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not irritable. Let love lead you to be more stable with your emotions because it'll always lead us to do that. So today, let's continue with this. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. Remember, the same pain centers that light up in your brain when you hurt yourself physically are the same pain centers that light up in your brain when you experience emotional pain. And so sometimes when you and I go through emotional pain, it clouds our clarity. Whenever our emotions are high, we cannot see clearly. And so sometimes when we are very highly emotional, we go to places in our mind, in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our soul, and in our heart that are not what they seem. How many times have you been there in this life? Like you've been through something difficult and you convinced yourself that this was your reality and then once you finally made it through this difficult storm, you looked back and you saw that wasn't reality at all. I was not seeing clearly because of my emotions. I have done that, you have done that, we all have done that. Emotions cloud our clarity. So let's look at this question today and notice this. Where are the places that we go when things are not what they seem? In our heart, in our mind, and in our emotions, where are the places that we go? Well, let's jump right on in. Here they are. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. We go to these places when things are not what they seem, the emotions of bittersweet, nostalgia, irony, sarcasm, and self-righteousness. Now, here's a good definition for bittersweet. It's a mixed feeling of happiness and sadness. And these would be some examples of some bittersweet times or moments in our life, like watching our children grow up, leaving a job to start a new job, a divorce or ending a relationship, graduating, letting go of friendships that are not working, moving to a new place, watching your students, if you're a teacher, watching them finally graduate, retiring from a job you've been at for 30 years, or maybe just coming home from an amazing vacation. You feel this bittersweet emotion. So research says what is happening when we feel this emotion is not necessarily a combination of happiness and sadness, but it's actually when happiness and sadness go back and forth in your mind and in your emotions very, very quickly. And the overwhelming feeling that you feel when you have this bittersweet time in your life is this. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. Notice this. It's a mixed emotion. But actually, what's happening in our mind is this. It's a quick back and forth from happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad. And that leads to this feeling of mixed emotions. And bittersweet is a moving emotion. 
So not only is it a mixed emotion, but it's a, a moving emotion. I love this movie called Perks of a Wallflower because it's about some students in high school who are basically on the outs of where all the popular kids are. They're kind of like on the margins. And so you have these three friends that find each other. One of them is suffering from some abuse when he was a child, some severe mental illness that causes him to have some, some deeply social awkwardness. And then you have other two that have just been made fun of and left out, and they kind of find each other in school and then a couple of them are about to graduate and right before they do they're kind of driving through this tunnel listening to music and they're just remembering all the memories and friendships and all the good times they had as they're about to approach graduation and it was a very sad but hopeful moment in that movie it was bittersweet bittersweet is the very clear awareness that this world has sorrow in it but also it's mixed with joy bittersweet is when you have days of honey and days of raw onion bittersweet is when you have days of ice cream and days of rotten corn so this is interesting research tells us this that the main reason why people not not everyone is like this but the main reason why a lot of people listen to sad songs minor key songs for some reason it makes people feel, at times, a sense of love, a sense of uplift, transcendence. The interesting thing is this. Most people don't know why they feel this way when they listen to sad music, but it's been reported that over the course of our lifetime, people will play the happiest songs on their playlist just a little over 200 times. In the same way, over the course of our lifetime, we'll play the saddest songs on our playlist over 800 times. Subconsciously, what we don't realize is this. One of the beauties of this bittersweet emotion when we embrace it is that it helps us transcend personal pain and collective pain. The reason why many times is because it reminds us that there's joy and suffering and it goes together. How many times have you read a poem or you listened to a podcast or you saw a movie or you heard a song and it reminded you. It was almost like you thought, I could have written that song. I could have written that poem. It's reminding me that other people are going through the same things that I'm going through. And so many times when we dive into that, it's this bittersweet emotion that the world is filled with joy, but also sorrow. But also when we're confronted with this bittersweet side of life, we really only have two choices. The first choice is to ignore it. And when you do, you start to transfer that bitterness onto the other people in your life and it pushes them away. But the best thing to do is this. If you're still with me, I'm still with you. Notice this. To accept that the bitter and the sweet sometimes go together. And then to take that pain the pain that you really can't get rid of and form it into something else, something more positive, something more creative, and something more healing. And that's really our best hope when we deal with this bittersweet emotion. Bittersweet emotions that we face remind us that life can serve you a big plate of joy with a side dish of doo-doo. That's what bittersweet reminds you of. When joy comes, it will always come with a shade of bitter. And so when you do have those moments of joy in your life, because joy always comes with a shade of bitter, when you do have those moments, grab those moments of joy by the throat. Do not let them go. Live them and embrace them and understand that this moment will be fleeting. Fleeting. And that sorrow could be right around the corner. Setting the table and waiting for a perfect life and perfect joy to show up is a waste of time. It'll never happen. None of us have ever experienced a life of all joy and no sorrow. Check this word out. It's called sodadao. It's Portuguese. It means I miss you. 
I know that we will never be together in the same way ever again, and I'm going to miss that. We don't have an English word like that. Do you see how words are important? I'm going to miss that. It's almost like bittersweet because you know that you can't create this thing that was once a big deal to you. The bitter side of appreciating life's most precious moments is this. It's the fact, the unbearable awareness that these precious moments of joy are passing us by. Now, let's go to the next place that we go in our emotions when we're not seeing things very clearly. We go to the bittersweet place, but we also go to nostalgia. And this is a lot like bittersweet, but it's very different. Now, check out where the word comes from. It means nostos, homecoming, and alja pain. So it's the pain of not being at home. In the 1600s, a medical student coined this phrase because what he noticed in soldiers back then, when they would have to leave home and go fight, they would experience this frenzy of emotions and many times get sick and die. And so he called it nostalgia, the pain of being away from home. This is when people didn't move away and just move because they wanted a new house down the road. When these soldiers would leave home in the 1600s, this wasn't something they normally did. And they would have this ache in their soul of being away from home. Many times it would cause them to break down mentally and emotionally and sometimes die. So nostalgia, what is it? Well, there's basically two kinds. The first one is this, personal. It's when you think about a moment in time with people that really meant something to you. And that can be very healthy because it can remind you, I can do well with people in this life. It can lead you to try to recapture that feeling from the past in this present moment. But personal nostalgia always really comes with selective memory. Like when people say, man, I love Christmases at home. We forget Sometimes we had some very bad family moments during those Christmas times. So studies find that when you think nostalgically in this way, when you think about it in a personal way, it actually makes you a warmer person towards people and more open to making new friends. And so personal nostalgia is not really a bad thing because it can remind you of the really great moments of your life in the past. But then there's nostalgia for the past and this can be dangerous. This is when people say, I would like to go back to the good old days. And please don't get offended if that's been your thinking. But this is when people think that if they could just go back to a certain time, things in life would get better without being able to get rid of the bad parts because you have been blind to the bad parts. And then you begin to obsess. When people are like this, they begin to obsess. Why doesn't everyone feel like I do? And what's wrong with everyone? And that can be destructive in our life because it takes this delusional form that makes people colder towards other people. When you have this nostalgia and you want to go back to the good old days, it'll make you colder towards those people that don't think like you. It'll make you more suspicious of strangers and hostile to people who don't believe like you. It's very destructive if you start building up this idea in yourself and in people that if we just got rid of all the new changes in this world, that your life would be better. That's very dangerous and very destructive. You cannot get rid of all the new changes in this world. That doesn't mean that we would be better off. Change many times is necessary and good. So how can we know if we're engaging with this nostalgia in a healthy way? Well, always ask this question. If you're still with me, say I'm still with you. What is it about the way the world has changed that we might be able to recapture from the past without recapturing the bad parts? And that means that we have to understand all the bad parts thoroughly. Basically, nostalgia gets life very complicated when we long for a simpler time and a simpler season because you're not facing your reality right now. 
This is what you want. You want to go back to a simpler time and a simpler season because you feel like your life is difficult right now instead of just facing the difficulty. Now catch this, don't stew. This is when you have negative thoughts and you go back to the past over and over again and you just stew on it. That's not reflection. When you stew, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to this time. That's dangerous. But when we reflect, you think backwards with intention and mindfulness. When you stew, it's a broken record. But when you reflect, you ask this question, what can I learn? So catch this. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. Here's something else to notice about nostalgia. It's a yearning for the way things used to be in our own version of the past. In our own version of the past. Many times you and I fail to reality check what we remember. Now, the next place that we go when things are not what they seem is this. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. Irony. This is a form of communication in which the literal meaning of the word is different and often opposite from the intended message. What's the one song that you can think of when you think about the word ironic? It's the song Ironic by Alanis Morissette. It's like rain on your wedding day. It's like a free ride when you've already paid. This type of language sometimes can get us into trouble. How many of you have ever found yourself in a very frustrating conversation, maybe over email or text, because you didn't really know how to read the irony or the sarcasm? Like developmentally, even with our kids, studies tell us that we start using sarcasm and irony with our kids before they can even understand it. And this is very, very dangerous. As a youth pastor for years, I have seen parents do this with their children in front of other children, and it deeply embarrassed them and deeply scarred them. I understand something. If you're going to respect yourself and respect other people, and if you're trying to communicate something very important, then use clear language to communicate what you're trying to say. Be very, very clear. Do not say you're being misunderstood if you're not being clear. Communicating something very important is no time for irony and sarcasm, especially in a relationship. There's this scene in this funny show called Brooklyn Nine-Nine where this cop shows up to talk to the other cops that they, that they work with. And so when one of them hears this person's voice, they say, I'm here. He turns around. He goes, if you're here, then who's guarding the gates of Hades? <laughs> Sarcasm. This is what it means. Notice this. It means to tear flesh in the Greek. Sarcasm can be funny, but it's also an attempt to hide your rage and anger and your contempt and your passive aggressiveness. Once you have access to the right words and the right language, use it thoughtfully so you do not hurt other people. And if there's something behind your words that's unexpressed, always understand that is going to end badly. This is why you have to be very careful when you use it with your kids. From a caregiver to a kid, irony and sarcasm can deeply hurt them. Now, this is the last place that we go when things are not what they seem, when our emotions are high and we do not see clearly. We go to bittersweet, we go to nostalgia, we go to irony and sarcasm. This is the last place, self-righteousness. This is a trap because it feels good to people who've made some major changes in their life and it bothers them when other people cannot. And so they feel self-righteous. It's also a trap that people fall into when they feel like their beliefs are better than other people's beliefs. And sometimes it even has nothing to do with the way those other people behave. They'll think they're better than you just because they think that they believe better than you do. Self-righteousness is a chocolate-covered turd. 
It makes you feel good about yourself, but it will absolutely push the other people, the good people in your life, away. So notice this definition today. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. Self-righteousness is a conviction that one's beliefs and behaviors are the most correct. It will make you close-minded, inflexible, intolerant, and less likely to understand other people. The most dangerous sin that the New Testament writers were ever afraid of giving into was not these wicked, dark, secret sins. The most dangerous sin that all of the apostles were afraid of giving into was self-righteousness. Notice this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice what the apostle says. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud or arrogant or self-righteous, I was given a thorn in my flesh. That was a, a physical disease or weakness, a messenger from the devil to torment me and keep me from becoming proud or arrogant or self-righteous. Three times I begged God to take it away. Each time he said, no, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. He viewed his struggles as something to keep him from becoming proud and arrogant and self-righteous. It would be helpful for you and I to understand what these are today. If it was something that the early disciples were so afraid of giving into, then you and I need to understand it so we don't go to this place when our emotions are high. So understand this today. If you're still with me, so I'm still with you. Righteousness is simply trying to do the next right thing, especially when there's a threat to other people's well-being. If you're going to understand self-righteousness, you have to understand righteousness. Righteousness is simply when you decide in your heart to do the next right thing, especially when there's a threat to someone else's well-being. Righteousness is when you want to do the next right thing in your heart, even if no one else knows about it or not. But this outward show of moral outrage, it's all over social media today, this outward show of moral outrage is absolutely self-righteousness. Righteousness is a genuine response to something that is wrong. Self-righteousness is when you're just trying to prove to yourself and the people who are watching you that you're really a decent person. We are lost when we think we have to broadcast our righteousness to other people. So remember this today. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. Self-righteousness is a real red flag that our self-awareness is in trouble. If stepping on the neck of someone else makes you feel better, if stepping on the neck of other groups makes you feel better about who you are, then you are self-righteous. Notice this today. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. Remember this. The self-righteous scream judgments against others to silence the noise of skeletons dancing in their own closet. Let me say that again. The self-righteous scream judgments against others to silence the noise of skeletons dancing in their own closet. These are the places that we go when life is difficult, when life is uncertain, when our emotions are high and we cannot see clearly. We go to the place of bittersweet, nostalgia, irony, sarcasm, self-righteousness. I always tell people, and I've had to practice this in my life, all throughout my life, don't make major decisions when you're highly emotional. You do not see clearly. How many times have you said something or thought something or acted in a certain way when you were highly emotional and then when it was all said and done, you thought to yourself, man, I really misread that entire thing. I'm so glad that I didn't take that final step and make a permanent decision with whatever I was going through. Don't ever make a big decision 
when you're highly emotional because you cannot see clearly. You are drowning yourself in bittersweet emotions, nostalgic emotions, irony, sarcasm, self-righteousness. You're trying to convince yourself that things are better than they really are. And so really, when, light, when things are difficult in this life and you know that your emotions are high, it's the perfect time to do this. Sometimes it's the perfect time to just listen. Notice this, Psalms 46.10. Be still, he says. Stop, be still. Things are too much right now. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. Sometimes when things are too much, just being still with God and doing nothing is the only cure for doing the wrong something. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We love you all. We hope you have a great week and we cannot wait to see you back next week.